who have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. And here we go. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. At the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of God, sorry, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed but praise God that you bear that name. For it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Amen. Let's be blessed by God's work. We are nails off against the wall. Uh, most of the time it was a real joy, especially thanks to God for the lovely weather that we had uh, for weeks. And we, we basically, I think everyone went to Argos and bought stuff to keep the kids happy. We tried our best to find a trampoline and could not find one. Everyone, now they're all being sold on Facebook Marketplace. Um, but one of the things that happened in lockdown is that uh, when you've got three kids, and we have a, a, young, a young boy now who's now crawling and eating everything under the sun, and uh, he's a joy, uh, a very happy wee boy, is that uh, you get a wee bit tired, especially if you're up late at night uh, with, your, with your young child, uh, and then the other more energetic older children who are five and four uh, kind of get away with a lot more than they normally would. Uh, and they're great artists, um, <clears throat> and we love to see them be artistic, uh, just not on our walls. Uh, and so our wall uh, in our hall is covered in uh, drawings, and uh, instead of uh, quickly painting over it, I just wrote on the wall, do not draw on the wall. <laughs> uh, and sad to say, it's still there, there's two tins of paint still waiting uh, to cover up this messy hall wall. 
Um, the other thing we like in our house is carpets, especially our bedroom carpet. It's nice and cream uh, color. Uh, but now it has big lipstick stains. And, and if you're watching children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It now has these black cherry lipstick stains all over our bedroom carpet. Great artwork. Uh, we, we forgot to add, we wanted to get a picture. She'd actually covered in her entire face. So all you could see was her little white eyes and teeth smiling at us at the end of that. Now, why am I telling you that? Well, I have to say, my children might be saying that's a bit much coming from dad. You know, he contributes to the mess in the house. And I do with coffee constantly. I'm a constant coffee spiller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially when you're carrying your, your kid around and you're doing everything one-handed. Uh, and the best ones, though, I have, and I hate to say I've done this more than once, is uh, falling asleep with coffee in my hand, in bed. They may be th judging me on my drinking coffee in bed, decaf, but I don't think that's the issue. Uh, I woke Lindsay, my wife, up a few weeks back, <laughs> covered in coffee. I had fallen asleep and went, whoop. Uh, now that leads me to, well, what do we do then? We have this big duvet that needs washed. that's not fitting in the washing machine. So I go looking for a, a place like a, a dry cleaner, not a dry cleaner, what do you call them? One of the, the place that has washing machines. I can't, remember, can't believe I can't think of the name of that. Uh, and uh, um, I found one. And we, I took it to the, the place and we managed to get the whole duvet sparkling clean, completely clean and white. It was great. I was so relieved and it didn't cost that much. Um, but in the process of looking for somewhere, I found that there was another one nearby and I thought I'll check out the comments because they didn't seem as established as the other place. Um, and somebody had complained about a rug that they had given to them to clean. And they complained and said it had more stains after you cleaned it than it did before it. You may think, well, I'd never take my rug there, but the person who worked at the company says, we explained this to you at the time. If you have a rug that has years and years of stains in it, when we clean it, you will clean the top stains, but you'll be left with stains that will never be moved. Uh, and I'd, I really just was thinking, I, mean, I like to do a sermon to just kind of have a wee story, something that relates, an illustration. And I think that that story actually illustrates quite well uh, some of the things that Peter is writing us to us about today. Uh, and by the way, our children are very sweet, just so you know. <laughs> they're not little terrors that terrorize the house and vandalize them. Um, but uh, they're very sweet, uh, and I hope they're enjoying seeing their dad again this morning. Now, uh, Paul's right, there's some heavy stuff in this passage, and we're not going to focus on that, especially some of the content could be a, a bit more for adults. Um, but I think there's some great things to be said from God this morning. And like I said last week and with every sermon, uh, the message that I give and the intent of the message that I give this morning uh, may not be what you receive. So I encourage you, and I always ask God to open the hearts and the, the minds of the people listening. What is God saying to you? Um, what is the message for you? Because I've often found that the one part of the scripture that I've not focused on is the one thing that encourages somebody. So, so I do pray uh, in your presence that God would help you to get past me and find God. So last week... Um, we're kind of looking at reputation and, and giving the world an example of uh, that's different from what we see in the world, which is dog eat dog. Uh, and the last two verses we looked at last week were 1 Peter 4, 1 to 2, where Peter says, therefore, 
since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So this was in contrast to the dog-eat-dog, eye-for-an-eye world that we live in. This week, we are looking at what's the message for you here at Ergy Baptist Church and what is the message for the church and for us as a community. But I, I believe that it's, it's time, looking at these two services and these two sermons together, to think about us personally. What is Peter saying to us personally? Because while we are the family of God and while we are all one in Christ, we are also individuals within the body of Christ. And the message isn't for, well, that's for Ergy Baptist to do, and for some people to say, well, that's good, Paul will do that, or somebody else will do that. It's for every single one of us. And if you've fallen, chosen to follow Jesus, whether you're here presently or watching, or watching later, then there is a good message in here for you. If you haven't chosen to follow Jesus, you're not a Christian, um, but you're curious even, uh, maybe skeptical, but curious, then there's a message for you too. Um, now, what's the first point I think Peter's made? Before, you weren't that good. That's the message. Before Christ, you weren't that great. Uh, and for you spent enough time in the past choosing to do what pagans choose to do. And it's written slightly different in the New King James Version. I use the NIV as well. Um, but he says... Uh, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Now, I, think, I don't think we could say that we were all involved in these behaviors. Uh, I, I can't imagine that, uh, that all the people in here can say, yes, guilty of all these <laughs> sins. Uh, what, what an illustrative uh, and, and colorful church we would have if we would say that in our former life we were involved in all these kind of practices and behaviors. So I don't think many of us in here could say that, yes, we're guilty of all these things that Peter is saying. Um, maybe one or two of us could say, yes, we were guilty of one or two of them. And maybe some of us can say that we've never been involved in any of them. Even though I wasn't a Christian, I was actually quite clean cut. I never wanted to get involved in all that stuff. However, I don't think that's Peter's point. He's not saying, well, okay, if you've not been involved in these sinful behaviors, then this doesn't apply to you. Peter is giving examples, and some might say extreme examples, of your, of our former separation and difference from God before we encountered Jesus. Before you were apart from God. Before you were more likely to behave like this than you were like Christ. So before Christ you were not that great. And number two, you're done with that now. That old life's gone. It's past. Bye-bye. It's not you anymore. And many Christians like myself can look back and say, I don't remember that person. I don't recognize that person that I was. It's weird to think that it was me behaving that way. And that's, that's an amazing thing. So Peter's saying you've spent enough time away from God, so now it should be done, over, out of your system. In fact, it's out of you altogether. You're not that rug that's been cleaned only on the surface. You're the duvet that's been put in the machine, completely washed clean 
The old self is gone. The stains are gone. You've been washed, cleansed, made right, set free. So really, every single one of us, no matter our age, should be done with it all by now. Besides, as it says in 412, you're, you're done with that, you know, because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. We're done. It's over. But the problem with it is, and especially I think of younger people, but I don't I think it's exclusively to them, but I think as younger people, and I think back to being a, I started to follow Jesus when I was 16, and my testimony actually, uh, I'd like to say that from 16 onwards I followed Christ. No, I, I fell at this point. Uh, experienced uh, mental health issues, uh, was a bit lost, uh, and, and like these Christians that Peter's writing to, we're seeing the behavior and lifestyles of peers uh, and belonging to a church that didn't have a thriving youth group or whatever, I feel that I wanted to be a part of it, and actually that's the age most difficult, I think, is youth groups are great up until that age when you're about 18, 19, 20, and you think, I'm kind of done. And I think the hardest time for Christians is that early 20s. It's actually the hardest time for a human being when it comes to mental health as well. It's when mental health begins. It's when most of it's diagnosed is in the early to mid-20s. And so this message, I think, is very helpful for young people who are university or leaving school or even in school and seeing the behavior and lifestyles and so-called happiness of their peers and think, oh, this is hard. I don't want to do this. This is really difficult being a Christian. Here I am being dragged along to this old building and this old church with older people. And it's not that you're being offensive, but that's just how you feel when you're younger. It's certainly how I felt when I was younger, especially going out to church on a Sunday evening with seven people with my friend just a couple years older than me and thinking, this is what I'm doing on a Sunday night and my pals are all at home playing the Mega Drive and it would be the Xbox One now. Um, Peter's speaking to that. Say, so, well, if you're a Christian, you're done with that. Um, and he recognizes that it's difficult. It's very difficult to be a Christian when you're surrounded by a culture that mocks you for your beliefs and for your lifestyle choices. The abuse and the, the tempting and teasing of those friends and peers and communities that you belong to can quickly become actually the rejection of those peers and friends and communities so you don't belong to them, you used to belong to them. So Peter recognizes that it's tough. There's a cost for living as Christ would have us live. And it's a serious cost. It's a hurtful cost. It's hard. I think of two young kids here and young, young adults, young teenagers maybe in the church. It's, it's tough being a Christian. It's not a, an appealing thing for a lot of young people to be different. We want to be different, but and different in the punk sense, or different in the, the rap sense, like, oh, I'm different from everybody else, but I'm part of the different group, whereas being a Christian, you're just different. You don't fit into a cool mold, you know? Even Christian music and artists and all these things that we have, which is amazing now, um, are still not respected by the secular world. Peter recognizes that it's tough to be done with that way of life. But here's the encouragement. He's saying, look, they have not stopped you from doing it. You chose. God and you chose this. 
It's not something that's happened to you. You're not a victim. You've turned your back on an old way of life. You've turned your back on the life that the world offers, and you've chosen true life. And he's saying, you've been there, you've done that, there's nothing there. There's nothing of value. Nothing eternal can be offered to you from the world. Nothing. All the laughter and joy and parties and revelry and idolatry brings nothing. The reason people keep doing it is because the moment they stop drinking at the weekend, they're bored. They have to face life. People party for that very reason, to party, to escape. They're not bad people, but there's nothing of value. You have to keep doing it to get yourself through life. As Christians, we don't have to do it to get through life. We have been filled. We have what we need. But the problem is it upsets the apple cart. It rocks the boat and it causes discomfort. My wife and I are not sheltered. I was certainly more sheltered in the sense that I was raised a Christian and I would say I had a good value background. And Lindsay certainly did as well. But, uh, but it wasn't kind of like um, clean in my living all the way through it. And we both have had experience in the past of being part of drug culture and being around people that take drugs. Um, now, people, stoners, people who smoke cannabis, it's all great and fun and yeah, well, I'll just chill out, let's watch programs and, you know, the world would be better if everybody smoked pot. But see, the moment you stop smoking pot, ooh, you're the enemy. Because it messes with things. They don't want to sit around with you sober while they're all getting stoned. It rocks the boat. And some of these people may, I doubt they'll see this, but some of them will know me and go, what? I'm like, well, it's true. You've said it as such to me, to Lindsay, you don't like it when people stop behaving the same way as you. It's like anything, actually. You take whistleblowers on a company or a charity. People don't like them because it upsets things. In church, when you whistleblow, people don't like it. Just, shh, no, don't, no. It's the pastor, or, or they've been here a long time, or, or they're just young. People don't like it when you say, this isn't right and I'm not going to be a part of it. Even if you've not, even if you've said, you know, carry on, do what you want to do, but I'm not going to, some people don't want to let you off with that either. And this is what Peter's talking about. I don't know these Christians are coming around and going to all these places and saying, you're all evil and you're all bad. They're not, they've just decided not to be involved anymore. And we're, we, I think, Peter, we can take from this, don't be surprised at this suffering. Don't be surprised at the attack you get from people. I think the issue is that it raises questions for them that they don't want to ask. Um, and, and I think it's, it's just, it's, it's not laziness. Well, I mean, it's partly laziness, but I think it's just, look, life's tough and this is my way through. And by you challenging it, you're taking away the thing that helps me through. I think a lot of the time that's the issue. But sometimes it can be really venomous and people can turn on you because you're a Christian. 
And kids will experience it in schools, jibes and remarks and stuff. I don't believe as Christians we're called to talk about Christophobia and to make ourselves victims. I mean, Jesus told us that, yes, we're going to get a hard time for this. I don't think we're meant to start banning around, you're Christophobic like everybody else. I don't personally believe that's what he's asked us to do because he's prophesied this is what's going to happen. We should certainly point out when people are treating us differently, absolutely. Um, I don't think we're meant to be, to be victims, but it's there. Christophobia is there. Young people will experience it in school. You might experience it in your workplace. Maybe not because people are careful what they say, but it's out there. Just watch any stand-up comedian to know uh, that Christianity is not respected. Listen to the laughs of the audience of the stand-up comedians, and you will know that sentiment and feeling towards Christians is, you know, they're not big fans of us, to be honest. Um, Now, our culture may not be as debauched as the culture Peter's writing to, although I think it is, but but anyway, let's, I think that just the difference is that back then, this was what everybody did. Uh, whereas, uh, and I think today we can address it up differently. I mean, the 60s was incredibly immoral period of time. I mean, part of the reason we're dealing with some of this stuff today is because of the 60s. And people for the 60s go, why are kids the way they are today? Well, the 60s, <laughs> big part of it. The 50s before that, you know? Uh, I mean, I, I used to hear stories about a grandmother complaining about Elvis. You know, and, oh, that'll bring in all sorts of stuff, and everyone thought she was crazy, and they're crazy to think that, but look at it now. And now we're crazy to think that this is debauched, and this shouldn't be talked about every single time. But it's always dressed up as just a bit of fun, you know, or we'll dress it up as, like, free love was the 60s. It's free love, you know, just loving everybody. It's not immorality. It's being free and loving and shedding uh, the kind of old-school judgmental stuff. It's, It's free love. And in the 70s and 80s with punk, it was, uh, oh, our immorality uh, and stuff is actually uh, railing against corporatism and capitalism and and, uh, institutional religion that keeps everybody down. You know, we're rebelling. Uh, So we'll dress up our immorality as as something good. Uh, Same thing happened in the 80s and 90s with rave culture. Uh, And I think even now with a lot of the leftist movements that we see, and some of the right-wing movements, that there's not much difference between them. There's immorality in both the left and the right, but they're dressing it up as, but we're the right ones, so we can do what we want. In fact, John Cleese has an amazing video, if you can find it on YouTube, or maybe should have given you a link, where it's a a little parody about talking about how you can do what you want uh, if you're in the right. You can cancel people and do whatever you want if you're in the right. And so why do I talk about that? Well, I think it feeds into our culture. I think it feeds into what Peter's saying here. I mean, the point is that as humans, we like to dress up our sin as something more palatable. We say it's natural or or feelings are paramount. So truth and reason are thrown out and we are left in the state that we're in now. And for all our advances in the human race, it seems that immorality has not advanced one jot. You see, we have a more moral world than we, ha- than we did 100 years ago? I don't think so. There's peaks and troughs. There are countries that do better with morality in some areas than others. So it's not surprising that if the world's morality hasn't changed in all these thousands of years, that when someone chooses to step outside the morality of the world, that they're going to get jipped for it. So I think the encouragement is not so much that he's saying you're, is, is that he's saying you're going to get a hard time for this. 
That's the encouragement. It's another one of those examples of God saying, I knew this was going to happen. That encourages me. It's, it's not something that surprised God. It's not something that God's saying, well, that shouldn't happen to you. It's saying, well, that's what does happen when you follow Jesus. Now, here's a couple of things that I think we need to bear in mind before uh, we carry on with this message. Be, before you get tempted to thinking that you're better than those who aren't Christians, better than those who don't live in sin, there are two things to be aware of. One, thinking you're safe. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul writes, uh, be careful, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall yourself. And the second thing to be careful of is thinking that you're better. In Romans 12, 3, Paul says, and this is more for us as each other within the church, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And Jesus um, gives a great parable about two men who went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. What a great guy. But the tax collector stood at a distance, didn't go up, right up to the temple. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breasts and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So amongst the stoners, amongst the sinners, Amongst the people in those cultures that we may be tempted to judge and say, yeah, they must all be really far from God, there are some in there who will be in heaven because they will at one point get to a point where they will cry out to God and recognize their need, and there will be people in the churches that we think have it all together who will not be there. That's a very serious warning. Because no matter how much we clean our rug, there could still be stains there because we may have just done the superficial. And we think, oh, every Christian we meet that says a Christian, oh, they're all, they're all Christians, they're all, uh, they're all close to God. Mm-mm. I've been a Christian for a long time and I haven't always been close to God, but people might have made the assumption that I was. And when I was a mess, some people think, oh, these, you know, he couldn't possibly be a Christian. But then there have been times where I've ministered in dark situations with people that, you know, the church would never get a chance to even have a conversation with because they're not there. So I think the, that's a very important point that Jesus is making. It's not about what you do and how you look and who you hang out with. It's about you and God and your relationship and your humility before Him. So be careful not to judge that you are better than them. And if that is your attitude, then you're missing what Jesus has done for you and why He did it, and why He did it for you. But you're also missing the price, the price that these people will pay as a consequence of their rejection of their loving Creator God. We should be moved to tears as Jesus wept over Jerusalem, that these sinners who mock us and jeer us 
will pay for that. And it's not that God's going to say, I'm going to strike you down, but the natural consequence of the rejection of God is no God. And if there's no God, there's no eternal life in heaven. Sorry, I'm forgetting there's a camera there. I'm getting all walking about. Um, always have to remember, because sometimes we're tempted to go, oh, they're just so nasty. But God knows that. God can see what they're saying about you. God can see what they're doing. And there's a natural consequence for rejecting God and attacking God's people. And so, if we know that God's got that in control, then that should motivate us all the more to love them, to be kind and generous and gracious, to smile at them, to not repay evil with evil, as he was telling us last week, but with mercy and grace and blessing. So, when the teenagers at school are mocking us, we don't respond in the same way. When in a workplace and people are making little remarks, we don't make remarks back. The very reason the gospel was preached was so that those who are dead, these people, and who we were, might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. When we see a culture that is in sin, it's a reminder of why God came. Why are we shocked? This is why Jesus came. Oh, I can't believe this. This is terrible. Yeah, of course it is. That's why Jesus came. The gospel was preached to let people go beyond the judgment and morality of this world so that we could live by the Spirit. And Peter gives us a how to be and why. He says, therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So, protect yourself by being alert. Be smart. Be alert. And be sober-minded. It's not just don't be drunk on alcohol. It's sober-minded, thinking straight. Now, drinking drugs will undo that. They're a very obvious thing that would undo your being alert and, and being sober-minded. But there are many other intoxicating consumables, and that includes thought processes, the way you think about things, beliefs, desires, grudges, ideologies, philosophies, sport, intellectualism, debate, emotions, hate, resentment, narcissism. These are all intoxicating. They will all intoxicate you to the point that you're no longer alert, that you're, all you're doing is focusing on this, 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 and you're forgetting what God's really called us to, what God's saying to you. And if you're intoxicated with these things that are not the gospel, that are not God, then they will scupper your prayer life because you'll spend your most time doing that. And if you're spending most time doing that, it'll make it harder for you to be alert and sober-minded, which makes it harder to pray, which makes it harder to be alert and sober-minded, and so on and so forth. Today, make it stop. Stop wasting your time. Stop wasting your energy and your thoughts on things that are not Christ, that are not God, that don't lead you and point you to God because they are attacking and weakening your resolve when it comes to Christ and your relationship with Him. And I am preaching to myself. I am playing Call of Duty far too much. <laughs> I am wasting time playing a computer game. You know? It's like you can do these things, but too much. You're spending more time thinking about things that don't really matter. It won't make it very easy when it comes up, when you come up against people who want to bring you down for your faith. B 
be alert and sober-minded. And he goes on to say we should be using whatever gift we have received to serve others. Be hospitable without grumbling. So to him be the glory and power forever and ever, he says, amen. And so I'll finish with encouraging you to be brave in the face of the ridicule and the temptation to be like the world around you. Because Peter says you shouldn't be surprised at this. Said that already, don't be surprised. You know, he actually says, it's almost like actually Peter saying, don't be surprised at this fiery ordeal that has come on, come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's a natural consequence of being a Christian is that you ruffle feathers and become someone that upsets the apple cart, even when you're not trying to. It may not be quite the same, and some would even caution me in saying, uh, saying this, that it is not far off. We're already, there are, we're already at a point where there are significant groups in our society who would happily eradicate Christianity. I mean, if you've ever read uh, uh, The God Delusion, I mean, there, there's a manifesto for eradicating Christianity from every aspect of human life. And Richard Dawkins has given Ricky Gervais, like, an award, I'm like, for reason. I mean, it's, it's a joke. I mean, with all respect to love to Richard Dawkins, but he completely lacks reason and sense and fact when it comes to Christianity. He's completely ignorant, willfully ignorant. And Ricky Gervais, the same. They're smart, clever people, but when it comes to Christianity, completely unreasonable, completely unwilling to listen to reason and fact, but to spill out filth and lies about Christians as though we're the worst thing that could ever happen, us and Muslims and any religious person. We're already at a place where that book sold millions of copies. It made converts to new atheism. There is an appetite out there to eradicate Christianity and Christian values because we're so evil and nasty. They say that they, they, they overblow the influence that we have in this country. I mean, people say, oh, Christians have too much influence in this country. I'm like, where? Songs of praise? Where's Christianity represented positively on television in the UK? I don't see it. They say we've got too much power. Well, show me all the Christian uh, leaders, you know, that are openly Christian and attend the church. Show me them all. But they don't produce the evidence. It doesn't matter. There doesn't need evidence. We're hated and seen as mindless automaton morons. And thankfully, not everyone feels that way. That's not what I'm saying. Not everyone does. I'm so glad of that. I've got friends who are respectful and, and like, okay, I get it. I understand where you're coming from. But all you have to do is, like I say, watch the stand-up routines, and you'll see Christianity and Christians made fun of constantly. And stand-up routines, all the big ones, and Michael McIntyre Roadshow, it would come up. You'd see it. It's, it's not, not all of them. I'm not want to overstate. But the laughter and the yeah and the claps at the expense of someone just for following Jesus. And that's okay, you know, apparently. But the other thing that I think is most shocking is I've seen uh, adverts for two Christian charities on Facebook wanting money for Christians in other parts of the world who are, are persecuted. And the comments are unbelievable. Why should we help them? Look at this Christian charity. Why are they only helping Christians? Blah, 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 blah. You just wouldn't see it. And I actually, I probably shouldn't do it, but one of the persons made a comment, I checked their Facebook page, and they were into animal charities. <laughs> and we should be, but my goodness, 
people starving and being persecuted by their own government. Let's criticize a charity that does that, but let's save a tiger. There's no appetite. There's very little appetite to preserve Christianity and Christians. But rejoice, because all this suffering and rejection and trial that we might experience, I mean, just think of it. I've, 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 watched, I've supported a football team, and I say support, I like the team, right? Uh, and I, I've watched them, I'm not going to say who they are, but you'll know who they are. I've seen them be like a total, like, woo, winning everything to being chucked in the bottom and then suffering through three or four leagues to get back to the top. And the, the excitement and joy of seeing them getting back to the top was amazing. But I had to go through all that uh, watching them do really badly to get back to the top. I wouldn't have appreciated getting back to the top if I hadn't watched them go from the bottom up. The joy that we will experience will be beyond words, beyond anything we've experienced when we, when we finally get to be with Jesus at the end. And so to the young people in the church, to the older people in the church, to those in the middle, never forget that there is heaven. This is what we're in it for. Eternal life, freedom from pain, freedom from suffering, freedom from COVID and the government responses, freedom from lies, freedom from deception, freedom from all the drinking and partying that young people like to get involved in and make you feel like you're missing out. You're missing out on nothing, and I'm looking right at the young people. What other people have in this world and say, Christians are blah, blah, blah. Christianity is real, it's valuable, and Jesus will help you through everything in life. The world cannot offer you anything close to what Jesus offers. And I wish that I'd followed Jesus younger than 16. I wish that I'd never wandered away. Following Jesus is, there's nothing else. There's nothing else. You get washed, you get cleansed, you get to start again. You get to be in a church with people who love you, who will treat you differently from the way the world will, who will treat you with love and compassion. What a vision for church to be sober-minded, alert, eager to see each other experience and receive the gifts that we've been given by God, loving each other, not covering up each other's sins, but having the grace to forgive and sort things out, offering hospitality to one another, willingly, happily, dutifully, each using the gift we have been given for the benefit of each other, with God getting all the glory. What a vision for church. It sounds like the world should be like that, but it never will be like that. John Lennon's Imagine is the emptiest, most depressing song I've ever heard written. Imagine a world that had no God and no heaven and no hell and all these things. It is the most bleak, depressing sounding song I've ever heard in my life. And I was a big John Lennon and Beatles fan. But what an empty vision for the world. No God. Because what John Lennon is saying, imagine a world was full of love and all that. You can't have it without God. Humans have tried for centuries with movements to try and create something truly loving. You cannot have it without God. And what a vision for the future. All this will be worth it. Healing, glory, peace, things that you may currently feel is not likely or possible will be. You are out with the old and in with the new. And Jesus invites you this morning to accept Him, maybe again. Believe Him, believe in Him, trust Him. He invites you to ask your Creator God to father you, to forgive you, and to welcome you into His family. He invites you to admit your need for God, to admit His rightness 
and your wrongness. And He invites you to do this knowing the cost for you in this world, but the reward that there will be for you in the next. And so let me just clarify that I love, love the people that are not Christians that I know. Love them. Sometimes they are kinder to me and there for me more than some of the Christians I know. It's not about comparing, but love these people. They have families, they have lives, they have feelings, they have emotions. They're not just sinners. God didn't just see you as a sinner. Don't see them as just a sinner. See them as a future brother or sister in Christ. And be encouraged that God knows the suffering you're going through and that He is always, always with you. Amen. We're now going to sing.